get your Bibles open, Genesis chapter number 12. We, we began a series uh, last week, actually a couple weeks ago, uh, looking at the life of Abraham, more specifically looking at the faith journey of Abraham. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the message this morning and Typically, when we have to do Facebook messages because of either weather or paint fumes that we can't tolerate, uh, it will be a little bit quicker. So thank the Lord for that. But let's pray that we'll get to the message. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity we have to, Lord, even though we can't gather together in the uh, location that we typically do, we can still come together and worship you. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have to come into your presence to study your word, to hear from heaven today. So, Lord, I do pray that even though we can't physically join together, your spirit can still be with each and every one of us. And, Lord, I pray you would be with every single one of us, Lord, those who are able to watch now, uh, those, Lord, who will be watching later on in the week or maybe even later on in the day. I pray that you would just speak to their hearts. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would do a work in their lives and that, Lord, you would use the preaching and the teaching of the word of God to change us and conform us into your image, God. Lord, we thank you for loving us. Pray that you would fill me with your spirit, speak through me. Lord, help me to say what needs to be said, what should be said. And Lord, help me not to say what I should not say, but help everything that's said and done bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in your Bibles, in, in Genesis chapter number 12 is where we're going to be, but we began a journey uh, several weeks ago looking at the faith journey of Abraham. And Abraham is the first man who God called in the Bible to walk with him completely by faith. And we look at other men who came before Abraham. For instance, we think of Noah and say, well, wouldn't Noah walk with God by faith? Yes, he did. When God came to Noah and told Noah to, to build the ark because he was going to flood the earth and destroy the earth, yes, Noah had to step out on faith and act in faith to obey God like that. But God told him what was going to happen. God said, build this because this is going to happen. Build a boat because I'm going to flood it. So though though Noah had never seen rain, though Noah had never seen a flood, he, he was even anywhere near the ocean. He knew that God had a plan and he knew what God's plan was. So God said, build the ark to avoid to be safe from the flood. So Noah was able to do that. When God called Abraham, he didn't give him any outcome. He said, Abraham... I'm going to bless you. I'm going to curse them that curse you. I'm going to make you a mighty nation. I'm going to give you a lot of kids. But I want you to walk with me and journey with me, and I will show you where to go. So Abraham did not know where he was going to end up in his journey with God. So he had to walk with God completely by faith. Now, walking with God is a faith journey that every one of us are on and it starts the moment we accept Christ as our Savior and it continues until we see God face to face in heaven. So Abraham, he is an incredible example that God gives us in Scripture about how to walk with God and how to be completely committed to a fit walk to walking with God by faith. He he begins his journey as a nameless faceless nobody in, in this land that no one really knows about, but he ends his life as the father of our faith, as the friend of God, as the man we look to and cling to and, and just look back at and, and learn from him. But his faith journey, uh, it wasn't always success. He had a lot of failures 
along the way. Uh, and he, he had a lot of failures along the way, and a lot of times his faith got weak. And that's, that's really, that's why I love the Bible. The Bible doesn't hide the faults of its characters. The, the men and women we call heroes of the faith. I mean, Abraham, he's in the hall of faith. He's in the hall of heroes in Hebrews chapter 11. And even David, the, the, the king of Israel, the greatest king, we see all these wonderful men that God praises and uses in an incredible way in Scripture. But God doesn't hide their mistakes. God doesn't hide their failures. God uses them to show us we're all broken people. You know, a lot of times, especially in religious circles, we really like to kind of find men and elevate them and prop them up. And man, this is the man of God, and the man of God is beyond reproach. And look, I understand as a pastor, as a shepherd of the church, I do have uh, more expectation from you as a church member and from God as the leader of the church. But I, we're just all people. We're all just broken people in a broken world trying to serve the Savior that heals. And I love that the scriptures show us these men's faults and their failures. It lets us know who they truly are, and it gives us hope because if Abraham, the friend of God, the father of our faith, if he, if he can lose faith, if he can have his faith get weak at times, then we don't have to feel like failures when our faith grows weak, when we lose faith, and we don't do what we're supposed to do for God. It gives us hope that if they can fail and get back to a right relationship with God, then we can too. So the story we're going to look at this morning is one of the darkest times in Abraham's life. We see him make a decision that brings incredible trouble to his life and eventually incredible trouble to our life as well. So look in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to start reading in verse number 10. We're going to read from verse 10 through verse 20 this morning. <coughs> Genesis chapter 12. And you think I'd have been there, but I'm in Genesis 42. That's not going to work. So Genesis chapter 12, starting verse number 10, the Bible says, And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai, his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Now remember, Sarah hears at least 75 years old. In my studies of Abraham uh, these last several weeks, a lot of Bible theologians uh, have speculated, and they've used some scripture to kind of back it up, that Sarah was maybe a little bit older than Abraham. I don't believe that, but but she was she was an she was an old woman. She's not you know a, a young gal. She's past her prime, if you would. Uh, she's not able to have children ever, but now she's past the age where she could have kids. So she's an older lady. But Abraham, her husband, saying, hey, honey, you're, you're pretty. And look, I, as her husband, he should believe that. I mean, I tell April all the time how pretty she is. And she's always like, oh, of course, you just, you're supposed to say that. And, I, you know, she is. And that's why Abraham's like, hey, babe, you're, you're a good-looking girl. And you're a good-looking woman. And these, these Egyptians, man, they're going to they're gonna want to date you. And that causes trouble for him. So it came to pass. Uh, now they know that our fair woman <coughs> to look upon. Verse 12, therefore... It shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, that thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. 
And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, that the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was fair. So Abraham said, honey, you're, you're so pretty. Uh, people are going to want to want to kill me to date you. And he gets to Egypt. And people are like, yep, she's a pretty one. We're going to want to kill her to get to you. Uh, and the princes of, uh, verse 15, the princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen and he-asses and men-servants and maid-servants and she-asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram. Uh, and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to my be my wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife in all that he had. So we see here uh, a story of Abraham and his first kind of lapse in faith in his walk with God. And uh, so it's a very difficult time in Abraham's life. Now, when Abraham was in Canaan, where God wanted him to be, Canaan was where God was leading him, where God took him. So he was completely and perfectly and securely in the will of God. But while he's in Canaan, a famine hits the land that causes Abraham to doubt God's will to doubt God's provision for his life. So this is a time in his life where his faith in God began to fail, where his faith in God began to get weak. Now, because of this famine, Abraham leaves where God wants him to be and goes, the Bible says, down into Egypt. Now, this on the, the just the surface level, this doesn't seem like such a, a big deal to us. Egypt where, is where the food is. Canaan is where the famine is. There's no food in Canaan. There's a famine in Canaan. There's disease in Canaan. And so it's trouble in Canaan, but there's food in Egypt. There's security in Egypt. There's provision in Egypt. So on a surface level, this kind of makes sense to us. You know, he, he wants to take care of his family. He wants to provide for his family. He wants to make sure there's food enough for his flocks and his people that he is responsible for. And so it makes sense to leave where there is no food to go to where there is food for them. Abraham did what he did because he wanted to take care of his family. And we, we can't fault him for that. We would do the exact same thing. The Bible even says if a man doesn't provide for his family, then he is worse than an infidel. But there were major problems with this decision that Abraham made. There was tremendous problems with his decision to leave Canaan where God wanted him to go down into Egypt where God didn't want him to be. Now, he, is, he was where God wanted him to be, and he should have trusted God to keep his promise, to keep his word, to take care of Abraham, no matter how bad it got. However, the fact that Abraham went into Egypt instead of another location, friends, why didn't Abraham go back to Haran? Why didn't he go back to Ur of the Chaldees, where he was from? Why didn't he just go home? Why wouldn't he, when he got there and he, he saw the famine, why didn't he say, man, this is, this is worse than it was at home. There's no food here. We're suffering here. I'm going home and, and just go back to Ur of the Chaldees. Why didn't he go back to Haran where there was some food for him there? So it's not just bad that he just went to a different location. The fact that he went to Egypt is extremely troubling for the child of God. See, in the Bible, Egypt 
always represents a life lived separate from God. Egypt represents the world. It represents living a life of selfishness and self-sufficiency, living a life separated from the will, from the presence, from even a desire to be with God. It's, it's where the children of Israel were held in bondage for over 400 years for Pharaoh. Even in, what's so bad about Egypt is Egypt, it always sticks with you. Even when Israel was freed from bondage, they still long for the things of, of Egypt. They still long for things of the world. Look at the Bible says in Exodus chapter 16. <clears throat> and the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly together. It, Egypt had left such a desire in the hearts of Israel that they would have rather died as slaves in Egypt than live in freedom with God in the wilderness. They wanted the things of Egypt. They wanted the things that they earned and that they enjoyed and that they had pleasure in when they were living separate from God. And that's just like we can get. Regardless of how much God blesses us, there is a part of us that always longs for what we feel like we gave up to walk with God. And let me be clear. You didn't give up anything to walk with God. You didn't give up anything to, to have a relationship with God the Father. When you got God, you got everything you could ever have. And what you gave up was, was worthless, was pointless, was damaging, was going to hurt you. But our flesh still desires the things of the world. Still desires the things we gave up or we got rid of, or we left behind when we left Egypt. The world is one of the enemies that we fight as a child of God. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 16, For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world, the flesh, it produces desires inside the heart of the believer that are contrary to the Word of God, that are contrary to the will of God, that are selfish and sinful and oppose God specifically. So when we try to fulfill those desires that the world has laid on our heart, we find that we're, we're, we're never satisfied. The world will never satisfy you like God can. Egypt will never give you the joy and the, the, the fulfillment and the security that God can. No matter how bad it is in Canaan, Egypt can never give us what God can. But it does produce a hunger inside of us that can never be satisfied. This hunger that the world produces is in direct contrast to the hunger for God that he has placed in our hearts. So we notice a lot going on in Abraham's journey to Egypt that we can see kind of paralleled in our own lives when we journey to the world, when we step out of our faith journey to Egypt and we step out of our faith journey and we choose what feels comfortable, when we choose what feels secure, when we choose what feels like it's protection for us, we choose the things that are, that are contrary to God we, we, we step out of Canaan, out of the will of God, and we travel down to Egypt. This morning, let's look at Abraham's path to Egypt and see the path that we take 
when we leave God to walk in the world. First thing we notice is, number one, it's a downward path. It's a downward path. Look at verse number 10 again in Genesis 12. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was grievous in the land. So when a child of God leaves Canaan, and look, Canaan is different for each one of us. My Canaan is different than your Canaan. Your Canaan is different than Brother John's Canaan. Everyone has a different Canaan. Canaan represents the will of God for your life. It represents the victorious Christian life, where God wants you to be. Now, there's, there's battles there. There's struggles there. There's trials there. There's burdens there. But it is still, no matter what's going on, no matter if there's famine or not, it is still exactly where God wants you to be. So when you leave Canaan, the place of victory, the place of blessing, the place of protection, to go to Egypt or go to the world, it is always a downward journey. It's always downhill. There's a reason that we say someone fell into sin. We don't say someone ascended into sin. No, they fell. They went down into sin. Whenever we leave our journey with God, we always go down. And where do we go down from? Well, the first thing we, we go down from is we go from the land of promise. We go from the land of promise. The land of Canaan represented God's best for Abraham. It was where he would fulfill every promise he had made to Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees to bless him, to make him fruitful, to give him many children, to make him a great nation, to bless the world through him. All these blessings God had promised to Abraham, they were going to happen in Canaan. They weren't going to happen in Egypt. So when he left the will of God for his life, when he left where God wanted him to be and went down into Egypt, he went away from the land of promise that God had for him. Though the land was filled with enemies, though there was a famine in the land, it was exactly where God wanted him to be. Look, there is no place that is safer or more joyful for the child of God than to be exactly where God wants you to be. Does it mean there's not burdens? Does it mean there's not trials? Doesn't mean there's not difficulties or famines or enemies. There are, but it is still exactly where God wants you to be. Canaan didn't seem perfect to Abraham, but it was where God wanted him. Where God wants you may not seem perfect to you, but it's perfect to where God wants you to be. It's where God wants to fill his promise to you, where God wants to bless you, where God wants to take care of you. So on this downward journey to Egypt, first thing he did is he, he traveled down from the land of promise. Second thing, he traveled down from the land of preparation. He went down from the land of preparation. The famine in Canaan was not punishment for sin in Abraham's life. It was a test of faith. God was seeing if Abraham would trust him during difficult times. Now, he failed the fest test of faith and he ran from God's best for him. When we decide to journey with God by faith, we will be tested. Now, there's, there's a misconception 
when we talk about God testing us or the, the testings of God. There's kind of a misconception. We believe that it's kind of a pass-fail type of thing and God's given us a test and if we pass, we get extra credit or extra rewards. But if we fail, we just got to go back to the drawing board. It's not like it's a test. It's a, it's a, if we pass, we please God. If we fail, we don't please God. That's not what the test is for. God isn't testing us to see, oh, I wonder how they're going to do this time. I wonder if they're going to pass this time. Maybe they studied up. Maybe they're, they're prepared for this test. Oh, now they failed. Oh, well, let's try again in a couple weeks. See, that's not what it is. It's not for God to see how we are going to react. The test is for us to for us to see how we're going to react. The test isn't for God. It is for God. It isn't for God to see how strong our faith is. It is for us to see how strong our faith is. And when we fail the tests, which we will, look, let's just be honest here. You are going to fail the test of faith God puts you in. We all do. Abraham did. If if Abraham couldn't do any but couldn't pass, how are you going to? And we're going to have times where we fail these tests. When we fail these tests, it isn't to see how strong our faith is, and when we, it, it's just, it's meant to strengthen our faith and grow our faith so we can draw closer to God for the next test that comes. When when the test of faith comes. Uh, God is trying to get us to rely on him, to trust him, to keep his word, to, to trust him that he's going to provide for us. Even in difficult times, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it seems like God cannot take care of us, God wants us to trust him and rely on him. In 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, you know the story about it's Elijah. Elijah comes to a widow woman during a, a famine. Now during this famine, Elijah, he, he's at, at, first of all, he's at a brook. God's taking care of him at a brook, and God's feeding him. God's giving him him food. God's giving him water. He's got ravens bringing him bringing him him food. He's got the stream right there for water. But eventually the streams dry up. Eventually the birds stop coming. <clears throat> so God tells him to go find a widow woman in a, in a town, a little bit town, a little bit further over, and ask her to make him a meal. So he goes. He finds this woman, and God tells him she'll be picking up sticks. He goes in. He sees this woman picking up sticks. He says, hey, God God told me to come see you, and God wants me, you to get me a glass of water. And so she's going to get it for me. He goes, hey, by the way, while you're going to get me a glass of water, bring me something to eat as well. And she tells him. She goes, you know, I, there's, there's, there's not nothing. I don't have anything for you to eat. Uh, all I have is a little bit of oil and a little bit of meal. I'm going to make this this little biscuit. I'm going to, Me and my son are going to eat it, and we're going to die. That's all we have to eat. Once this is over, we have nothing else. And so Elijah... Very compassionate, very caring, very concerned for this woman. Says, that's great, but go make me one first. I mean, just doesn't sound like a real compassionate type of guy. Uh, but here's here. But he does this, but he also gives her a promise. In 1 Kings 17, and Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said. What did she say? I'm going to go make a biscuit for me and my son. So he said, hey, no problem, don't worry about it. Go do what you have said, but make me, therefore, a little cake first. He, she said, I don't have enough for you. He said, that's fine. Go do what you're going to do. Go make you and your son the, the little biscuit. That's fine, but make me one first. So, I mean, she's probably sitting there thinking, are you, are you deaf? Do you not listen? I, I just told you I don't have enough to make you anything, and you're saying, great, go make one for your son and you, but make me one first. So he continues, make me therefore a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and thy son. For thus saith the Lord, so here's the promise, thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, 
neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. So this woman, she had a faith. She had a, a, a choice to make. Step out in faith and trust God to provide or cling to what she had in hand. She had enough oil. She had enough meal to make enough cornbread, cornmeal basically, to make one more little meal for her and her son. She could eat that and then she could die. She had that in hand. Or she had this promise from God. Make the preacher a meal first, and then you'll have plenty to eat until the famine is over. So that, that, that gives you a lesson. If you're ever looking at your, like, man, I'm, 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 we're struggling with groceries. I don't know how we're going to get groceries. Make the preacher a meal first. Amen? Uh, but anyway, so she had a choice. She could step out in faith and trust a promise from God that she could not see, or she could live her life trusting what she had in hand. One, one most definite meal for her and her son was a promise of meals that she couldn't see. And that's faith. And she passed the test. She and God provided for her and her son until the, the, the famine was over. She made Elijah his meal first, his little cake first. And then she went back and made one for her. They made one for her son. And then tomorrow morning, she got up, and I'm sure Elijah said, hey, make me another one of those biscuits. What? We just made it all yesterday. I'll try. But until the famine was over, she had her meals provided for. She chose the uncertainty of trusting God over the abundance that she had in her, in her possession. Abraham chose the abundance of Egypt over the uncertainty of trusting God. See the difference there? She trusted the uncertainty of God over the abundance she had. Abraham trusted the abundance of Egypt over the uncertainty of trusting God. So the path down to Egypt takes you away from the land of promise and away from the land of preparation where God is working on you and preparing you for greater steps of faith in the future. Third thing, when you're going down from Egypt, it takes you down from the land of provision. When, when God called Abraham to walk with him by faith, he promised to provide for him in Canaan. He said, when you get to Canaan, uh, I'll provide for you. I'll bless you. I'll curse anyone that curses you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you lots of kids. So this, this promise had not been fulfilled. So when he promised to, in, to take care of him in Canaan, he promised to provide everything he needed in, Can in Canaan. No matter how bad the famine may have gotten, God promised to take care of Abraham. The best place for him to be for his family and for him was in Canaan. Only there would God give provision and God give rest if Abraham followed by faith. Leaving Canaan was leaving where he would be provided from. Now again, humanly speaking, didn't make sense. There's a famine in Canaan. There's food in Egypt. We're going to leave where there's a famine and go where there's food. But in Canaan, even though there's a famine... That's where God wanted you. That's where God promised to bless you. That's where God promised to take care of you. So leaving the land of Canaan, you are leaving God's provision to go to a place where they have food, but that's not where God promised to take care of you. The path down to Egypt takes us from provision, takes us from the promise of God, and takes us from the preparation of God. So the, the path to Egypt is, number one, it's always a downward path. Number two, it is always a dishonest path. So look in verse number 11. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt, when he said unto Sarai, his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, 
they shall say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, <coughs> but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee that thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and for my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass, and it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair, and the princes also of Pharaoh saw her, and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So his path away from God, his path down to Egypt, led to a path of dishonesty. We notice, first of all, letter A here, he birthed a lie. He birthed a lie. He had turned from the truth of God to embrace a lie that he came up with. God had, pro now remember, God had promised to protect them back in the beginning of Genesis 12. I'm going to protect thee. I'm going to bless them that bless thee. I'm going to curse them that curse thee. Which means anyone who tried to hurt Abraham was going to receive the curse of God. And we see that later on in the chapter. But he, 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 he left the truth of God and he embraced the lie. God promised to protect him. And he lied because he didn't trust God. Now the saddest part is Abraham birthed this lie in his heart, but he began to believe it. And he did it to justify his actions. Too often we do the same thing. We lie to ourselves to justify our sins. We lie to ourselves to justify our failures. We lie to ourselves to justify our lack of faith. Well, I got a preacher just said early on in this message, God's got to, you know, I've got to provide for my family. If I don't provide for my family, I'm worse than an infidel. I've got bills to pay. I know God promised me to take care of me if I was faithful with my tithes and offerings, but I'm going to do that I've got to pay these bills. So if I pay these bills, it's okay because God wants me to provide for my family. Or, you know what, I, I don't have to go to church every Sunday. I can stay home and maybe I can watch it on Facebook. Hey, that's okay. We got Facebook now. So I can, you know, I know the Bible says not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together, but I got a lot to do. I got I to gotta, I gotta take care of housework. I got to work. I got to make extra money. I got to do all these things. Surely God will understand. You know what those are? Those are lies that you tell yourself to justify your actions. Well, I know, you know, and I shouldn't be looking at pornography, but my wife's not doing what she ought to do, so it's okay. You know, it, that's a lie you've told yourself to justify your sins. We are very good at justifying our own sins. Look, we can pick out, we can, I can pick out your sins and I can tell you where you're wrong, but I justify mine. And you do the same thing. You justify your sins just like I justify my sins. <clears throat> and the thing is, there's always some truth to the lie that we tell ourselves. For Abraham, he's telling, hey, tell him you're my sister. That was a half-truth. She was his half-sister. Now, I know we're looking at that now, we're like, ew. That's what it was. She was his half-sister. So to him, it's like, it's not really a lie. She is sort of my sister. So to tell her they're my sister is not a lie. I'm just, I'm just leaving out the fact that she's also my wife. That is a sad day in the life of any believer. When we start birthing lies in our heart because we want to get away with something. So we, first of all, he said he birthed a lie. Number letter B there, we see he became the lie. After he told the lie, he began to live the lie. Because of his lack of faith, because he lied to justify his sin, he did the unimaginable. Look, he allowed his wife 
to be taken by Pharaoh to be his wife because he didn't want to get hurt. He allowed another man to steal his wife from him and he didn't put up a fight. He didn't say anything to stop him. He allowed it because he didn't trust God. It was, now, he allowed his wife to be taken by Pharaoh. It was, it was common practice during this time for a ruler of a country to take unmarried women into his harem. Now, we don't know if Pharaoh ever touched Sarah. We don't know. But he could have. We don't know what happened. But a lot of things could have happened. And Abraham allowed it. The lies <coughs> that you tell yourself... The lies that you believe, the lies you begin to live will always ruin your life. You see it in the life of David. After his sin with Bathsheba, he, he, let, he lied. It led him to begin to lie and have a royal soldier killed. It led him to lie about when his relationship with Bathsheba started. It led him, led him to lie about when the baby was conceived. It also led to God punishing him for those lies and taking that child and bringing heartache and heartbreak into his life for the rest of his days. The more you lie to yourself, the more you lie to others, the more you try to justify your lack of faith, the more you try to justify your sins, it will always, always, always get worse. So we see he birthed the lie. He became the lie. Let us see there, he believed the lie. He came to the point where he believed the lie that he had invented more than he believed the truth he had received from God. He was worried about something happening that God told him never would happen. He thought the men of Egypt would kill him for Sarah even though God had promised to bless him and protect him. He couldn't die because God's promise had not been fulfilled yet. And so he believes the devil's lies over the truth that God had told him. And that's always the way that sin works. Eve sinned because she believed the lies of Satan over the truth of the Word of God. The downward path away from God is a dishonest path where we lie to ourselves and we lie to others to justify our journey away from faith. Number three, not only is it a downward path, not only is it a disastrous path, number three, it is a, uh, I'm sorry, <clears throat> a dishonest path. Number three, it is a disastrous path. A disastrous path. Look in verse 15. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had taken sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord, Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. This downward, dishonest path we take to get away from God always leads to disaster. But it leads to disaster number one, letter A here, because of the potential. Abraham's sin had the potential to make others fall, and eventually it did. When we spiritually go to Egypt, it causes others to follow us down to the place of sin, down to the place away from God. We see that in Abraham's life, years later, Abraham and Lot, they're back in Canaan. They're where God, he's where God wants them to be, but they're so prosperous, they're so successful, 
<coughs> that there's some trouble between Abraham's herdmen and Lot's herdmen. So they get to the point, Abraham's like, hey, Lot, so there's no trouble between me and you. Maybe we should just divide up. You take your sheep and your herdmen and your, your herds and go one way, and I'll go the other. And you, you choose, Lot, where you want to go. I'll take second best. And Abe Lot, because he had been to Egypt with, with, with Uncle Abraham, because he had spent some time there during the plague, he chose a place that the Bible says looked like Egypt to him. He saw the well-watered plains of a place called Sodom and Gomorrah and said, that reminds me of Egypt. Again, that hunger that the flesh put inside of him. Because that looks like that looks like that place of Egypt where I had so much fun, where that, that it was so much more, more desirous there. So he, he went to a place that reminded him of where he was when he was away from God. And it led him to end up in Sodom. It led him to lose his wife, to lose his married daughters and their sons, and maybe even, we don't know, maybe they had grandchildren. It caused him to lose his, his wife, his daughters, his son-in-laws, his children caused his two surviving unmarried daughters to get him drunk and commit incest with him. Why? Because one day Uncle Abraham started doubting, lost some faith, went down to Egypt, and took Lot with him. The potential to destroy other people's lives is huge when you leave where God wants you to be to go down to Egypt. All because Abraham lacked faith. Your family... Your friends, your spouse, your neighbors, they're all going to suffer because of your decision. You do not just affect you. We see it was disastrous because of potential. Letter B, it was disastrous because of the punishment. Look again at verse 17. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house. Why didn't God plague Abraham? Abraham's the one that lied. Abraham's the one that lacked faith. Abraham's the one that got away from God, but God is punishing Pharaoh because of Abraham's sins? Abraham's sin brought God's hand of judgment into the situation, but it wasn't Abraham that suffered. It was Pharaoh and his household that suffered the judgment of God because of Abraham's sin. How terrible for the decisions, our decisions, to cause a believer to stumble, or even worse yet, to cause a non-believer to reject Christ. The punishment may not be directly on our lives, but we will suffer the consequences because of it as well. So we see it was disastrous because of the potential, because of the, the uh, punishment. And the letter C, it was disastrous because of the prophets. Look at verse 16 again. And he entered Abram as well, and he entreated Abram well for their sake. And he had sheep and oxen, and he asses and men servants, maid servants, and she asses and camels. Then look at verse 20. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Abraham left Egypt with more than he came there with. Which, right off the bat, you're like, well, hey, that's good for Abraham. He came in there pretty wealthy anyway, but he left with even more possessions than he started with. And so it, it seems good, but, it's all, but it seems like a gain, but it's still a loss. One of the things he left Egypt with was a servant girl named Hagar. She became a problem for Abraham. She became a problem for Sarah. She became a problem for the entire world. What we think are the world's blessings 
often become life's greatest burdens. The path to Egypt always leads to disaster, either now or later, and always for others as well as for us. We see it's a disastrous path. And fourthly and finally, we see it is a disappointing path. It is a disappointing path. In verse number 18, And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away, and his wife, and all that he had. The world and all of its promises can never offer or can never satisfy us like the promises and the supply that God can give us. We see it's a disappointing path, number one, because of the testimony, or letter A here, because of the testimony it forfeits. Abraham lost his testimony in Egypt. Pharaoh told him, take your wife, take your stuff, and get out. He was kicked out of the world by the world. Abraham had lost any chance to witness to them, to change them, to influence them for God. You know, people forget a lot of things, but they never forget a ruined testimony. They don't remember the good that you do, but they always remember the bad. You know, preacher after preacher after preacher has fallen, and all people can talk about is their failure. Doesn't matter what they did for God beforehand, doesn't matter how many people they led the Lord beforehand. Doesn't matter how much they, 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 they worked for God or served for God or witnessed for God or did for God beforehand. All people can talk about is their failure. We remember it, it. We even see it in scriptures. You know, when you think about the Apostle Peter, you know what we think about? More than anything, we think about his denial of Jesus. We don't think about Pentecost first. We think about cussing Peter, denying Jesus. We think about Peter on the water. You know, we think about we think about the fact that he lost faith and began to sink. We don't think, oh man, he was out there. He was the only one to ever do it. We think about the failures more than we think about what they've done for God. We think about David. We don't think about him recovering the ark for God. We think about, about Bathsheba. We think about his failure. We think about his kids turning their back on him. We think about all the bad things that came from his sin. Going down into Egypt forfeits your testimony for God. Letter B, it's, it's <clears throat> disappointing because of the things it forgets. In Egypt, Abraham had no altar. In Egypt, Abraham offered no sacrifices to God. In Egypt, Abraham didn't pray to God. He completely left God out of everything he was doing. He forgot to walk with his heavenly father. When we are in the world... We live like the world, and we forget about God, and we forget to walk with him. Jesus told us no one can serve two masters. You're either going to love the world and hate God, or love God and hate the world. But you can't serve both. It's a disappointing path because of what it forgets. Let us see, and finally here, it's a disappointing path because of the tragedy that it brings. Instead of bringing the light of the one true God into the darkness of Egypt... Abraham brought more darkness. He was not the salt and the light he was called to be. When we leave Canaan for Egypt, we cannot be what God has called us to be. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Because ye are the salt of the earth, but if salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? 
It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It is always a tragedy when believers leave the world worse off than when they found it. Where's your tent pitched this afternoon? Are you camping in Canaan? Are you firmly fixed in the land of blessing, in the land of victory, in the land of promise, or have you left God's best for Egypt? Have you left where God wants you to where you think is better for you? All it takes to get to Egypt is a little compromise here and there, and before you know it, you're miles away from God. You'll never prosper as long as you're not where God wants you to be. So God calls us today. Come back to Canaan. Come back home. Rebuild your altars and live for Jesus like he saved you, like he saved you to do, no matter what's happening in Canaan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 